So one of the major themes of Dharma practice is the practice of goodwill, kindness, goodwill, non-aversion, tolerance, and uh, compassion on this area of extending goodwill to others as to oneself is the Buddha's expression of it. So I think we can all pretty immediately relate to the uh, value and the need for kindness and goodwill. It's not a, not a, you know, most every religion teaches this. <laughs> and yet, yeah, you know, So even in the Old Testament, even God would smite his enemies, so he wasn't didn't have it perfected. <laughs> he had a few weak spots with Jehovah of a wrathful God and jealous and, and beat up people who are not good. So he obviously had some blind spots in his practice of goodwill. And the Buddha so when you look at this, you recognize it's pretty, pretty awesome cultivation because it doesn't just mean you know, goodwill to people you like on a good day when you're feeling a good mood and you're feeling positive, but also goodwill to people who are nasty on a bad day when you're feeling rotten. <laughs> so perhaps, you know, if you really to cultivate that, you've got to have really developed a lot uh, more than just nice ideas and sentiment, but a real transformation of the heart, of, of what we bear in mind, what we see in ourselves, what we know, what we pick up, what we really esteem, what we think is the most important thing. And the world in general, we always experience ourselves in relationship to the planet to our parents, to the people around us, you know, to the fact that we can't survive a single day without something or the other being given to us. We don't live on sunlight. We've got to live on resources we take from the around us. And a lot of this comes through the efforts of other human beings. We wouldn't have survived the first 10 years of our life without more or less 24 hours a day constant supervision and care, you know, so this sense of the others is very, very important. And yet somehow the default in our experiences were that me, you know, I'm the important bit, and other people are kind of out there on the screen and I'll see what I can do for them, but really, you know, the me bit is the central bit and other people are peripheral. And that's the kind of basic setup that I think we probably all recognise we, we experience. 
So within that, sooner or later, there's going to be the kind of query, well, do I work for my welfare or your welfare? Well, sorry, buddy, but... <laughs> you know, uh, or, uh, you know, that I, don't, I can't get on with you, therefore it's your problem, rather than something I have to work on in myself. Yeah, so, so that's the sort of default system that we can operate within. And realize that this, although, uh, you know, just doesn't work very well. It doesn't lead to uh, uh, release. Because with that we tend to kind of always feel we want things to go my way, at my time, my speed. People I feel sympathetic to, I want to be more with them. And others I want to have less of. It irritates me, it disappoints me, it frustrates me to be with those. Hmm. And so sooner or later I get a bit niggly. You know, I may not blow up, but I feel a bit fed up, brassed off. Or, um, and then also this sense of the self is always uh, associated with um, you know, ability to become something, to get things done, to achieve something. So we're not achieving things, not getting things done, things aren't going my way. Again, I feel some ill will. Disappointed, frustrated, depressed. And then another thing we can get a sense of ill will around is our opinions, our viewpoints, our perceptions, religious, political, moral, ethical, whatever. And then we feel irritated with people who don't share those. So these are the ways in which this polarity of self and others between self and others, or to what I am, what I should be and could be and hope to be, but I'm not getting there. You know, there's always some kind of dividing line that occurs around this sense of self. Like I get irritated with myself because I'm not what I should be, or disappointed with myself because I'm not the way I want to be, you know, or I'm not getting the good things that I should have. So again, with this sense of... So one even becomes, you know what one is and what one should be, the should be is another example of another. It's almost we live in ourselves with a sense of another, like uh, what I should be, what I could be, uh, why I'm, you know, what I'm not yet. And then, so that, that still is a boundary there. And then again, there can be this feeling of frustration or disappointment, not, not getting what I should have, not being what I should be, this and the other. So this boundary of self and others is a very um, volatile one. You know, we've got to keep working with it. So whenever you sense that happening, that's the place where you have to practice this feeling of what's happening there. Am I resisting? Am I uh, demanding? What's going on at that place? What's happening at that place between self and others? Is it really to myself as to others? Feeling of non-aversion, non-bitterness, non-demand. Non, yeah. So you know, the, the Buddha said, well, actually, you know, this, is, this power, this practice is such that it can lead you to very, very sublime and steady places, you know, mind states, states of consciousness, which are called the beautiful. Means one actually feels, you know, an uplifted, buoyant sense and you start to see the good in others rather than all the faults in others. And even from there, it's considered one of the doors to Nibbana. 
That is, like jhana, like samadhi, it becomes a kind of stable abiding place that feels comfortable and pleasant. It's free from these snags of ill will and sourness and frustration and disappointment and blame that prickle us. And then we feel steady in that. And suddenly after you start to review phenomena, mind states, to be what they are as not-self. So... So this quality of, of goodwill is not just a superficial thing. Uh, it's not even just a nice sentimental thing. It's a very profound transformative practice that goes right into how we conceive ourselves and how we conceive what we should be and how we conceive other people and how we conceive they should be and how we conceive the world and life, and how we conceive how it should be. And around those you get this sense of not good enough, not good enough, not good enough, or dukkha. And then around that feeling of frustration, disappointment, blaming, ill will, fed up. So, you know, so this is the area that we've really got to look into, what, what the experience of ill will is about. And imagine that most of us don't feel that we're living in a state of continual ill will. Um, but it's a latent tendency. One of the seven latent tendencies. Which means that it's kind of lurk, it's sort of lying there dormant until something triggers it. And then you feel, oh, he turned up late. Oh, ah. You know, feel that feeling of irritation. And then this person is seen as kind of an idiot or you know, untrustworthy or unreliable and the feeling of that, that kind of that kind of coating goes over them. Yeah. And so you build up this. Uh, or towards oneself. So this is very common, the sense of ill will towards oneself, which we kind of keep at bay by uh, running, you know, by, by performing. So when you're in a very strong, strongly conditioned performance society where you, know, you get the education and job performance and then even things like one's physical appearance got to be really good-looking or smart. Uh, when speech got to be on the ball, hip, you know, up, up and running, up to speed, these kind of the phrases that go on. And if you're not, well, sorry, you're not really making it, you know, lesser. So this, you know, you go, you're kind of, if you're not really up to scratch. So you have this, this thing in the mind we call inner tyrant, which can be berating you. When you and you kind of feel more or less okay when you're getting things done, but then when you when you sit still, you find this starts complaining about you. Well, you didn't do that, and you know, you're never good at that, and you're just saying that to be nice, and you're phony about this, and you know, this kind of thing going on. So that when sometimes when one meditates, it can be quite an opening to this quality of 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 a, of a latent tendency of ill will, just kind of running over your mind, complaining about you, about what you should be. But the fact of it is, we can't really be what we are and what we should be at the same time. 
you know, maybe it's true that it would be better. Yes, I really would be good if my mind was like this and I was a perfect, angelic, wonderful, deeply wise, calm, composed being. That would be great. Um, but it isn't the case right now. <laughs> so how am I going to nourish this mind to to realize those goals or at least to, you know, make feeling one's putting in the effort to to develop. You know, it's not going to come through ill will, through criticism, because that breaks up the mind and gives you agitation, doesn't feed you with anything useful, but through goodwill, saying, well, come on, you know, you've got some good spots. Where are the good points? Where do you feel comfortable? Where do you feel easy? Where are your good spots? Let's see if we can really focus on those, you know, focus on the good and the clear, and then see if you can get confident in that and find the places where one feels... Uh, reactive or edgy or, or easily irritated and just look into that and see if you can calm it and soothe it. Yeah. So we start to find these places where we are uh, self, highly self-critical and, and look at that experience. Yeah. You know, it's, not, yeah, it's nothing to get upset about. Yeah. Unfortunately, quite a lot of this residual ill will is because it's conditioned by um, our, our relationships in the world, by other people who abuse us or put us down or laugh at us or kick us out or reject us. So this is pretty standard experience. <laughs> so, when, you know, I think you know, when you're at school... So I imagine this is pretty common for most of us when you're at school, then more or less uh, the group in the school is always picking on each other. In boys' school, you fight, punch each other. You know, somebody who's a bit weak or slow generally gets humiliated um, or bullied. Um, and pretty standard to be abusing each other and calling each other names. And uh, it's a really kind of ugly thing that... Uh, that people go through as they develop. It's kind of like some kind of strange predatory or competitive instinct where you put other people down. And uh, so you go to schools now, I think the teachers wear flak jackets and armour. <laughs> the kids have stopped just using verbal abuse, they use physical violence. You know, wow. So, you know, so this, this ongoing quality of... of of ill will and, and uh, competition and re- enjoying putting other people down because it makes me feel a bit stronger, more powerful when I put somebody else down. I'm on, I'm the winner, and this you know just you know showing this guy I'm better than he is that kind of thing. Uh, the result of that you know engenders a general feeling of mistrust and needing to compete with others to prove that you're stronger. So we're always you know competing. You know, kind of raising, raising the standards so you won't get looked down from others. It's quality of mistrust. And then, of course, the other thing that can happen is that uh, people lose their temper, their frustration, their ill will, they lose their temper and they swear or beat you or whatever, kick you out just because you happen to be in the way. Pick on somebody smaller or weaker. This kind of thing happens. Now, this, this gets... You know, this is this is unfortunate way that people are, in my experience. 
So if you've been through that for a few years, uh, then naturally you have some limitations on your sense of trust <laughs> towards others, uh, and of course a feeling of being comfortable in yourself without you know, needing to prove you are something. This sense of unconditional acceptance is not the norm for people. This is just the the uh, you know way humans are. There's a guy who's doing a lot of field work on baboons. He studied this baboon uh, pack for many years in Kenya, and he was surprised. He was watching baboon behavior and seeing how it was like. Like human behavior is like baboon behavior, you know, at one level. But generally, human beings grew out of it and kind of saw saw the weak spots of it and actually developed more than that. But the primary kind of baseline is this baboon behavior, which is extremely uh, competitive. The males just fight each other all the time to establish who's in pecking order. The leader. It just beats everybody up all the time until finally somebody gang up and kill him. <laughs> and this is more or less, you know, if you look in the history of, of medieval Europe, that was pretty much the case. You know, <laughs> kings and what, knights just bashing each other. You know, physical violence was pretty standard to find out. You know, you're a king because you could beat other people up better. <laughs> no wisdom. <laughs> so this is, you know. Kind of like well, when you look at it, it's not an individual quality; it's, it's, a, it's a quality of the species. And you recognise, you know, these the, that with any kind of sense contact we have, there's either going to be it's going to be pleasant, we move towards it, or unpleasant, we move away from it. Unpleasant is aversion, isn't it? Like whoa, retract. Pleasant is interest. Want more of that? Move towards it. So when these um, fundamental reactions to to sense contact and to even what's possibly there are established, we begin to see the establishment of greed or hunger, wanting more, and aversion. And the strongest of those is aversion. Because if you see, you know, if you're an ape and you see there's a banana there and there's a tiger there, you're going to want to get away from the tiger more than you're going to want to get the banana. <laughs> because if you get away from the tiger, you can get the banana another day. But if you don't, you know, if you just get, go for the banana and you get eaten by the tiger, that's the end of that. So you, basically you're conditioned much more towards you know, irritation and aversion than you are you know, following that instinct than to, even towards greed. So this aversive sense is very strong in the sensory condition. And in these kind of uh, communal, where humans and apes are social creatures, so then this sense of we become objects of these others' uh, aversion or or fascination. You know? So this is the kind of thing we're really looking at as a as a kind of instinct. And most of us, <laughs> all of us, fortunately. I recognise we don't want to be that, so we rise above it and we deliberately uh, foster attitudes of tolerance and sharing and generosity and looking after each other and compassion. This is very beautiful. Uh, and so we have this possibility, and all of us have received 
kindness and compassion, otherwise we wouldn't have survived to this very day. And probably every day we receive kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's important to remember that. Because the unkindness and the lack of it can remain sort of lodged in the mind as a, as a fundamental experience of what I am. You know, if you've been through these uh, experiences where you were humiliated or, or abused, then that almost sets a kind of pattern in your mind of being fearful, of um, feeling put down. We look out for that. Something in us picks that up. Or being rejected or dumped or abandoned. We feel that. We look out for that. This is karma. So you can be very sensitive to anything that reminds you of that. You lived in some kind of, uh, you know, these heavy political systems where you feel kind of repressed and and shut in. Then naturally your, your relationship to systems and authorities is going to be a little bit less than uh, happy. <laughs> you know, we look for that, we feel mistrust in that. So these are the things that can, can trigger it off in us. And fundamentally, we want to realize that no matter how anybody else is, however nasty, whether it's true or not, whether we're imagining it or whether it's true, Still, if your own mind gets contaminated by ill will, that's not good. And the Buddha gave this example, a parable, he's saying if, if bandits captured you and sawed your legs off, sawed all your limbs off with a double-toothed saw, if you experienced any sense of ill will towards them, then you hadn't really been practicing properly. <laughs> so... That kind of that sets the benchmark, doesn't it? You think, yeah, right. Well, so me feeling irritated about people turning up late is perhaps a little bit petty. <laughs> they didn't saw my limbs off anyway, <laughs> but still, I can feel irritated at uh, <laughs> you know breaches of protocol or etiquette or observances or people fumbling or not being mindful or breaking my teapot lid or whatever, you know. They should be more careful, more mindful, you know. And yes, yes, but how does it happen? And why, how, do you, why how do we let the, the foibles and shortcomings of others make our own mind a place of sourness and misery? That's the bit we have to take responsibility for. So how do we avoid picking up the, the, uh, the foolish or the directly negative from other people. People definitely, it's not just the mistake, people are being unpleasant to you, you know, are abusing you, are criticizing you, are being unfair. And how do we not get our, let our minds go into this kind of angry, unfair, righteous state which feels so unpleasant this is, uh, yeah. How do we experience a sense of non-aversion to all the brutal tyrants and murderers and so forth in the world? How do we experience a sense of goodwill towards ourselves when we feel ourselves failing or, or 
being in negative mind states. This is all the area of the practice of goodwill. I think an important thing to, that backs up any, any Dhamma practice is, is insight. And the, and the, you know, so, so what this insight really refers to is, is the recognition that what we experience as things, as people and trees and rocks and whatever, you know, is really is an event, not a thing. So it's an event in the eyes, for example. It's a visual experience. Or it's a tactile experience. Or it's an auditory experience. Or it's olfactory or whatever. You know? So that's what's happening. You see a person, that's a seeing experience. You remember a person, that's a thought experience. You, know? you can think about something, that's a thought, that's a thought experience. You know? So you know, what... Uh, Parent world of things is that we feel uh, excited about, indifferent to, or at odds with, is really just events happening in our consciousness. Seeing something, labeling it, brooding on it, perceiving it. You, know? you see something, it reminds you of something, and then so. But, it's not a thing, but it's an experience of seeing something. So, for example, you know, you can see somebody, and uh, this person's, you know, making a mess of something. Oh, idiot! And then two hours later, you see the same person doing something really beautiful. Oh, what a great person! She's so kind and generous. The next day, idiot! She made a complete hash of that. You know. So, why is this person? You know, changing all the time because it's not a person. What we experience is an event of seeing something, remembering something, defining something. It's happening in our own mind. It's not there's nobody there, but what we really experience is something that's compounded out of our own uh, mind consciousness. You You look at something, it looks good. It doesn't look good. The eyes just see something and your mind finds it pleasing. You look at something that looks bad, it's not bad, your mind finds it displeasing. So, and these events can keep changing. You take two or three people of different nationalities to a restaurant and say, try the food here, chances are somebody will think, this is awful, somebody will think it's really great, somebody will feel it's indifferent. Taste is the same, but the perceptions are very different. Yeah. You know, you go eat Thai food in Thailand, they really like it hot. If, it, if your body isn't going to spasms when you eat it, it's not really flavorful. <laughs> and so the, you, the English food, they just think, what, what are you eating all this blotting paper for? It's just so bland and dull, you know? But if you went to Japan, when I was in Japan, the food there is very subtle. Flavorings, you know, any kind of little cubes of tofu and a couple of strips of seaweed on it. It's very subtle flavors, and the, the visual experience is as strong as the as the taste experience. So it's important. This on a nice plate, it's right shape. So you you see the food as much as you eat it. And that's part of it. But if you're looking for hot chili 
flavorings, then you're going to be disappointed. So this is an obvious example. People are very strongly uh, differentiated around their, their tastes, food tastes. Same with music, isn't it? Same with art. You go to some you know, gallery and you see somebody, what's this blotches, blotches of color and scrawl? You know, that's a $45 million painting. <laughs> It's, you know, you, 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 wow, <laughs> what's so good about that? So you see, you see what's happening is the eye doesn't really care, the nose doesn't care, the tongue doesn't care, the ear doesn't care, but the mind sets up these values and perceptions. And then when things are not in accordance with that, we get this feeling of it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. And then the ill will can start up. But there's nothing there. There's nothing, what you experience in your mind is not a thing, but a perception, an interpretation, a subjective impression of a thing. And, of course, this is a very strong uh, uh, conditioning for us, our subjective impressions, because it acts as our inner compass. What's good, what's right, what's nice, what's tasty, what's hot, what's warm, what's polite, what's pleasant, what's okay... How do we get on with people? It's important to have those kind of those measurements in your mind as to what's suitable or what's agreeable. Only problem is that it can get stuck and we don't keep developing. We attach to that. We don't see past that. We're not able to interpret new pieces in a broader light. So, yeah. so the sense of always willing to to look into one's perceptions and check it out. You know, particularly in relationship with what we should be, what other people were, are, and even who we were in the past. We can have lots of ill will about things we've done. But all you know is right now that's a perception and impression in your mind. And you can't go back and change the past. And you can't right now be what you should be. But you can let go of the disappointment, the irritation and the demand that's the bit that you can do and when you do that then there's a whole lot of energy is released that was all in this contracted state and you've got some more potency to develop you know? so goodwill acts as a kind of a, a, a tremendous encouragement for, for development in all, all areas we get over our our, our smallness and our pettiness. We get over our, our irritability. This means that the more you do that, the more you're able to live with a wider range of experiences. We become more adaptable, less ruffled, less frustrated, more easy. You know? So this is obviously for our welfare. And the three tests the Buddha applied to all his mind states was is it for my welfare is it for other people's welfare and does it lead to nibbana if you get no when you ask those questions he said this is the one you put aside if it's just for my welfare and not for other people's welfare and doesn't lead to nibbana that's, that doesn't work either so you know I get what I want and tough luck for you. No, that doesn't, that's not good enough. It's got to be all three, yes, then that's the one you follow. So is it for my welfare, for your welfare? Does it lead to 
Nibbana to the lessening of differentiation, the lessening of attachment, the lessening of me mind, the lessening of that dualism, and all that comes with that. So it's holistic. Yeah. It's holistic. So you, you know, you really you cultivate in that way. And one of the important things to, to, to always use as a fundamental ground for the development of, of kindness is recognizing this, this irritability that we have as a fundamental conditioning. It's not all we have, but it's there for us. Everybody has it. So recognizing that, we've got to start to the basic sense of to others as to myself. The sense of empathy. Like all of us here want happiness, want peace, want to enjoy ourselves, do not want conflict, do not want anger, do not want stress, do not want violence, do not want fear, do not want this. So everybody experiences they don't want this. So we all make the effort to not create this in ourselves and not create it in others. Let's not intimidate people. Let's not bully people. Let's not look down upon people because they don't want to be looked down upon. I don't want to be looked down upon. I don't want to be intimidated. I don't want to be threatened. So I don't want to do it to other people. You know, it's kind of when you start to see others and myself in this, you know, you look at it both ways as best you can. And you're always looking at how you get, how you refine that. How you refine that. And it's so helpful. I remember a friend of mine who was a, he used to drive a delivery van. And he had a picture of Ajahn Chah, the Thai meditation, the monk Ajahn Chah, on a, on a dashboard of his van. So when he was driving around, he had this feeling of something he could keep the sense of his practice and uh, non-attachment. So and purity of conduct when he was driving around London delivering things. He had this photograph pasted on his dashboard. So he pulls into a, a petrol station to, to get some fuel and there's a, this is the days when they used to have you know, people putting, the, putting the, the hoses into the petrol tanks. You know, there's this young guy serving petrol. You know, and he, the young guy's a kind of skinhead, hard nut type. He puts, his, puts the nozzle into the tank, looks into the car, and says, Hey, what have you got that funny old geezer there for? You know, What's he? So he's starting to make fun of him. You know? And... Uh, so my friend you know, sort of stopped and instead of just being going sour or intimidated by this person's you know, crit- ill will or criticisms, just stopped and just kind of let go of that and said, well, you know, before I listened to this man's teachings and what he was doing and got inspired with him, I was always uh, very lonely and... Uh, felt depressed and my life seemed really meaningless and the, the guy who was serving the petrol said what? I mean you, you get like that too? <laughs> he said yeah so just a sense of checking in you know that 
suddenly the whole basis of ill will dropped away because they found a ground of we're on the same ground here you know suddenly the sense of self and other which was strongly differentiated around whether you're a buddhist or not whether you you know disappeared whether you're buddhist or not buddhist you can feel you want happiness you don't want unhappiness you feel lonely you feel depressed once we recognize that in each other's sense of wow we're on the same ground empathy and then naturally from that ground when self and other stand together rather than be polarized we have a feeling of well how can we um, support how can we get through this human experience together how can we get through it with its uh, disappointments and frustrations and different opinions everybody has a different opinion about things we recognize that then maybe we oh well it's just that isn't it how do we live with that how do we get so that doesn't become the defining characteristic of how we are so an opinion is just an opinion it's just another event in the mind you don't want to base your life upon it whether you're a leader or a follower whether you're at success or not success whether you're really skillful at some things or just an average joe those things come and go and change you don't want to base your existence on that because it's always going to be competitive better worse and you can't be a success all the time you know sooner or later it's going to fade and go so you don't want to actually make that the defining characteristic of who you are and how you operate what you want to make the defining characteristic is how you can accommodate differences how you can clear the ground for your will from your mind so we hold our ground we don't get knocked around by the disappointments the frustrations things going wrong our own failures uh, difficult comments other people make about us just hold your ground calm steady and then no i don't want to go into ill will i mean no harm well you know whether i'm sick brilliant whatever i still can have good will towards myself whether you are however you are however you experience i don't want to let my mind get contaminated by this particular sourness so may you be at peace may there be no ill will towards you this is something we're working right on that place where our mind starts to react and respond and it doesn't really matter how other people are that's their business they have to live with that what really matters is that our own mind does not get soured and this is a very you know it's a good thing to keep questioning oneself with because it is the case even as we say i started out saying all the religions advocate goodwill you know goodwill to all humans 
And yet, (laughs) they're all fighting, fighting amongst their own ranks, the Orthodox and the Catholics, the Calvinists and the Presbyterians, the Hindus, the Muslims, Shiites, Sunnis. Because their attachment to the purity, their sense of seeing the other, and only seeing what they disagree with in the other. Then you get the Buddhists can have, perhaps they don't get vana, but they can have strong verbal disagreements and abuse towards different schools and different trends and even different nikayas and different lineages and different teachers. And you know, even with the same monastery, you can have the same. It gets right down to that. You know. Where does it end? And how pleasant is it to live in a, in a, you know, be in a situation where this is the kind of norm, fault-finding? Or is it possible to say, yeah, we obviously we see things differently. Let's really make the effort to, to focus on what I can appreciate in others, what I can find where my mind can lift and feel inspired, gladdened, pleased, contented, generous, towards others, let's make that the dominant one. Turn it around. And from that place, you give a way of addressing the difficulties. So even the Buddha said, even when you have difficulties with another person, this is monastic training, then you can't really act in ill will. You're not, he says, you have to, first of all, establish a mind of goodwill towards others before you can even point out their faults. This is what they call the process of admonishment. Before you can point out a person's faults or what you think is their faults, what you suggest you had to first of all establish a mind of goodwill. You know, that, that, is the, that is the training. That's it. And sometimes it actually takes quite a while <laughs> to do that. You know, really honestly, to be genuine, sometimes you just feel so disappointed, frustrated, irritated. It takes quite a while to do that. But then, you know, you really recognize actually that in the long run, we're not here to make perfect Buddhism, perfect monasteries, perfect. We're here to purify our hearts. And if it takes a lifetime, you know, to, to find myself having an experience of goodwill towards someone... That's what it takes. I can't jump up and start getting irritated. Well, I can, but that, that's going to be my... It's going to lengthen the process. It's going to increase the tendency to, to find ill will. It's going to, going to make it longer, more work to do. So really, right now, we always recollect. So every day... My recommendation every day is I practice myself. Is the last thing in the evening, just before I retire, just spend some time just deliberately considering the gratitude I have for all the good that's been shown to me today. And every day it's easy to remember that. When I set my mind to it, I can think, I can notice, you know, not just the things like the alms food, but somebody... Said a pleasant word to me, somebody helped me out, 
somebody offered some advice, somebody, you know, there's a number of negative things, but first you've really established that as so to, to get that there. Doesn't mean putting the other things aside, but really getting that sense of of that the basis to establish that gratitude. And uh, sharing what we call sharing merit. That is a definitely every day consider other people and some people one is enjoying, people departed, people one is having difficulties with, a sense of, well, it's not going to do me any harm at all to send them some goodwill. <laughs> Don't have to deserve it because it's for my benefit. So I'm not rankling and, and fed up and building up resentment. You know, that's really going to be for everyone's Ill, uh, harm. It doesn't lead to Nibbāna. So these are, I think, you know, and as you establish that as a regular practice, then it becomes a kind of a reflex that your mind can go to more often. The first thing to go to is to look to the, to the good side, to look to that, to establish that sense of, or the sympathy of recognizing that, you know, this person may be whatever he or she is doing right now, but you don't know what factors have brought them there. Yeah. You don't know. And this is something that Ajahn Smedi used to say when people would complain about some of the monks. They said, well, you didn't want to know what it was like five years ago. <laughs> it was really wild. He's gone a long way. Yeah. So we look around at other, recognizing people carrying karma, carrying experience of being abused or mistrusted, experience of all kinds of unpleasant things, their own misunderstandings or confusion. You don't know. Maybe they're doing really, really well. And to be honored for that. And that's a better way of looking at it anyway than... Uh, you know, you're a monk, you should be like this kind of thing. Establish that as your basic emotional response. And then with the mind of goodwill, then it's possible, you're saying, because I really uh, wish for your welfare and, and fond of you, you know, then I think you want to know the things that you're not quite noticing that are probably going to cause you problems. You know? That seems a lot better way of doing it than... You know, <laughs> sorting him out. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is, uh, to me, is, is, one can only really touch into this. It's a very profound practice indeed. And uh, uh, I wish everyone uh, to focus in this way and to experience and penetrate the difficulties that we have in ourselves, with each other, with the world around us so we can live with uh, greater ease and well-being.